Monodi twins. What are they? How do you identify them? If you're pregnant and carrying monodi twins, your developing babies may be at a higher risk than others and require additional monitoring. Are you getting this level of care? I'm Dr. Wade Twendeman, perinatologist at the San Diego Perinatal Center in Sharp Mary Birch Hospital, here to talk about monodi twin pregnancies and what you might expect for care. This is Twin Talks. The ultrasound shows your babies to be healthy. What? Did you say babies? You're huge. Are you having twins? Are they natural? Which one do you like better? Twins, huh? My neighbor's cousin's brother's uncle's a twin. So can they read each other's minds? How do you tell them apart? Twins? You got a two for one. Do twins run in your family? Double trouble. You're not having any more, are you? At least you're not Octomom. If you're pregnant with twins or you're an experienced twin parent, odds are you've heard it all before. Now it's time to hear from the experts. This is Twin Talks, parenting times two. Well, welcome to Twin Talks, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. Twin Talks is your weekly online, on-the-go support group for expecting and new parents of twins. I'm your host, Christine Stewart-Fitzgerald. Have you heard about the Twin Talks Club? Our members get bonus content after each new show, plus special giveaways and discounts. Subscribe to our monthly Twin Talks and newsletter and learn about the latest episodes available. And another way for you to stay connected is by downloading our free Twin Talks app, available in the Android and iTunes marketplace. Before we get started, let's introduce our panelists. So uh, let's see, starting here in the room, and I'll and I'll start introducing myself. So I'm your host, Christine Stewart Fitzgerald, and I've got um, identical twin girls, and I. I believe they're monodi because they were sharing a placenta. We didn't find out if they were, um, if it was a fused placenta or if it was a shared placenta. Um, but um, I can say I've been pretty active in some monodi groups and you know understand a lot of the concerns there. I also have a singleton girl, so we are an all-girl household, <laughs> and uh, she is now two years old. And let's see here. Um, start with our uh, panelist here, Brandy. Hi, my name is Brandy Wallace. I have um, monodi identical boys uh, that just turned five. I also have another set of twins that are uh, die die fraternal boy girl twins uh, that just turned two. Woohoo! Yes, <laughs> I know the two sets, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> because uh, you got your hands full. So I've had both types of pregnancies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And um, on the phone with us today, uh, we have Amy. Yes, my name is Amy Balfour, um, and I have a mono die um, identical boys that will be three in January, and I have a son who just turned six. So I'm an all-boy household. Um, and I'm Sunny. I am producing today's show, and I've got four kids of my own, um, and, and I kind of split it. You guys are you know, on different sides, but um, I have uh, two boys. They are not twins. I have a four-year-old, two-year-old, and then I have identical twin girls who were monodi twins um, who just turned one. Yay! Yay! <laughs> All right, so before we start today's show, um, we like to talk about different twin and, and triplet type news that's making rounds uh, on the internet. And this one I thought was really interesting. They came out a little bit earlier this year, um, but it involves space and twins. So I thought this was kind of cool. Space, <laughs> as okay. in like the final frontier kind of thing. <laughs> um, so apparently there are a couple of astronauts. Um, Scott Kelly is the uh, one of the astronauts. He's an identical twin and he has 
has um, his, his other twin, believe it or not, is a retired astronaut. Um, anyways, Scott is going to be going up on the International Space Station for a year, which apparently is the longest single space adventure of any wow. astronaut in history. But what I thought was really interesting about this is they are going to be studying him and comparing him, like they're studying the long-term effects of space and how it affects people. And they thought the best way to do that was to compare it to his identical twin, who is going to not be in space, but back here on Earth. And then they're going to, they've devoted quite a bit of money to this research. Um, and yeah, they just want to, I guess it's $1.5 million wow. that they're going to spend on this. And um, I just thought it was really interesting how they plan to kind of compare and do the whole thing but yeah it seems like you know identical twins I mean they do a lot of you know kids studies but then you know looking at adults (gasps) and the effects on space so I mean so it sounds like they're going to be like maybe comparing you know ahead of time before he goes to space and then when he comes back and yes exactly looking at maybe all the physiological changes yeah just what it's like to live in space and how that affects the body and mentally and all that kind of stuff but what I think is interesting these are grown men I, I didn't say that I think they're 50 years Years old, um, and so they already kind of have their own. I mean, I know I know they're both astronauts, but they already have their own life experiences, which I feel like could manipulate mm-hmm. the outcome already. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't have as much of that when you're dealing with younger children. But, anyways, hmm, if, if be... NASA must be right. You know, it's yeah. NASA. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> My question would be if they're going to eat the same food and drink the same things, and you know. If really, if the one who's staying on Earth is committed to doing something like that, I feel bad for him. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they're gonna perform a, a full genome—is that right? Genome analysis of both men to study any epigenetic effects. Okay. There you go. All right. Well, today's topic is uh, monodye pregnancy, and we're talking with Dr. Wade Schwendeman, who is here to help us understand how the diagnosis of monodye twins requires additional care. So thanks for joining us, Dr. Schwendeman. Thanks for having me, Christine. I really appreciate it. Well, um, you know, before we dive in, um, I think, you know, monodye, those of us who have monodye twins understand, but but let's, can we get a, like a brief overview of what that is and how that fits in with just twinning so we have a basic understanding? Sure. There's really two ways to end up with twins, right? One is to have two embryos be fertilized and become, uh, and become, and be fertilized at the same time and then go into the uterus and be carried together. That's, those are definitely going to be fraternal twins. They could be the same gender. They could be different genders. When you have one embryo that's fertilized and then splits, you can end up with, uh, you end up with twins as well, of course, or or more if it splits again. But uh, if it splits between the first uh, the zero the, the day of fertilization and the third day afterwards, you're going to end up with twins that have two placentas, and so we call those dichorionic twins. And so the chorion really refers to the placenta. If it splits between day three and day seven or eight, you're going to end up with what we call monochorionic twins, or twins that share a placenta, okay? And then if it splits after day eight, from day eight to day 12, you're gonna end up with twins that share the same placenta and the same amniotic sac, and so those are mono-mono twins. All these twins are gonna be identical, right? Because they came from the same embryo, they're gonna have the same DNA, they're gonna have the same gender, they're gonna look the same, pretty much. And then if it's it splits after day 12 or 13, you're looking at what are called conjoined twins, and those are the Siamese twins, as they were previously called. Hmm. And and for each of these different twin types, I mean, what's kind of the, the percentage of all the live births? I mean, I think it's, I mean, identical twins are pretty rare to begin with, right? 
So, so uh, as of right now, the, the most recent published data would tell us that uh, the risk for twins, especially given all the assisted reproductive technologies, we kind of hit a peak maybe a couple of years ago about, uh, about uh, with that, was at least as high as 3% of all pregnancies were going to be twins. Now, of those, of those pregnancies, two-thirds will be dichorionic and one-third will be monochorionic. Uh, but that number is probably going to fall very soon because of the because of the recent advances in uh, single embryo transfer for assisted reproductive technology, driving back down the total number of twins. But it's about one-third of 3%. So it'd be about 1% to have monochorionic twins and 2% to have dichorionic right now. Okay. So that could be <laughs> – gives us a little bit of understanding. So it is it is pretty rare. Um, and then um, how how does a um, practitioner identify that, um, you know, we're having – I mean, we, we, we've got – lot of technology that can identify twins, but how do we um, identify the, the specific twin type? What are, and what are some of the different characteristics of um, monodye twins specifically? So when you're looking at the, the placenta, you need to, it's generally done with ultrasound. Okay, I mean, I, I guess if you um, if you go through infertility treatments and you only put in one in em- put in one embryo and you have twins, you know they're going to be identical, mm-hmm. right? In that regard, uh, but if you put in if you put in more than one or if you have uh, if you get pregnant on your own and end up with twins, it's a little bit more of a surprise. We have to do some work and investigation. Typically what we do is we look at the placenta and then we look at the membrane itself. The, the dividing membrane between the two babies will be thicker in a dichorionic placenta than in a monochorionic placenta. And the placenta itself will kind of form into a different shape uh, near the membrane uh, if it's two placental masses fusing into one versus one, uh, identical, uh, one, uh, one identical twin placenta. And is there a kind of a, a time frame in which um, the you know expecting mom would find out what the twin type is? It's a lot easier to figure it out earlier in the pregnancy. The farther along you get, the harder it is to tell the difference, the more the two placentas can look the same. And so you definitely want to find out before 14 weeks, if at all possible. Usually between like 8 and 14 weeks is the ideal time to identify it. Okay. And now, and once they've been identified as monochorionic, um, so maybe can you share a little bit of, you know, why is it considered a higher risk as opposed to dichorionic? Well, just like with children, anytime you ask babies to share a placenta, they don't always want to share it evenly. <laughs> and so, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, one baby can essentially, uh, uh, the placenta can be not shared evenly and you can have what's called unequal placental sharing where one baby will grow bigger than the other. Or you can have what's called twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, which is a, a disease where one baby basically takes blood from the other baby through blood vessel connections in the placenta. And that's, uh, that's extremely dangerous. There's an increased risk for structural anomalies for identical twins above those of the, the risk for um, uh, even for dichorionic twins. And there's an increased risk for structural heart defects as well for moms who carry twins that have uh, one placenta. And so you have to be very, very cautious about all those issues. We don't always know why that is in terms of why it's worse to have identical twins versus fraternal twins, for example. But it is riskier. Wow. um, Amy, I want to ask you on the phone, um, when did you find out that you were having uh, monodi twins and, you know, how did that process take place? I found out very early, actually, and I want to say I was like, my gosh, I think like I was like, I would say between four and six weeks. Um, I was in, in, we did in vitro, and 
Um, two days after implantation, I had to go um, to the hospital emergency leave because I had horrible abdominal pain, and my fallopian tube and my um, ovary wrapped themselves together. So I had to have emergency surgery. At that time, there was only one baby, um, one embryo, um, with a heartbeat. And then uh, after that, they did a check on me four days later postoperatively and found out that it had split. It sounds like you found out early on that you were having monodi twins. Yes. I found out between four and six weeks. Very early. And I think you you had mentioned that um, you had experienced IVF. So you were under um, constant care through your, your medical provider. So that's kind of what precipitated finding out so early. I think that's pretty early compared to um, a lot of women finding out about their, their pregnancies. Yeah. Yeah. And let's go over to um, Brandy in in the studio here. Hello. I found out, and, and pardon me, my uh, perinatologist and the group there called them Dymo instead of Mono die. So if I say <laughs> if I say dymo, so dyslexic. <laughs> no, no, it's just it's a whole new phrasing for me. So those out there listening, dymo is the same. <laughs> but I, uh, I had a normal, spontaneous pregnancy. Called my care provider and said, "I think I'm pregnant. I've taken four tests." And they said, "You probably are." Um, come in around the eight week mark, which you know is I think is typical for any standard pregnancy. So I did, and. Uh, went in at the eight week mark had an ultrasound congratulations here's your heartbeat you know the teardrop falls and yay we're having a baby and uh three days later i had a little spotting first time pregnant freaked out called the doctor and they said you're fine i'm sure you're fine i can tell you're a first time mom so why don't, <laughs> why don't you come in monday morning um and i did i came in monday morning so they could prove to me everything was fine and they actually proved to me that i was having twins <laughs> during that appointment so around the eight week mark and it was during that second sweeping ultrasound where where they were really investigating the entire area and that's when they came across uh the twin and they the the nurse very calmly said well you know we typically like to see them in their own sacks uh looks like yours might not be so i'm just gonna forward you over next door to the perinatologist instead of the ob gin they specialize in this kind of thing and she was very calm about the whole thing and um it wasn't until i met the perinatologist that they, they actually did think i was having momo or mono mono twins because my separating membrane i called it a spider web it was super very super thin. fine only the highest trained yeah. eye could ever find it so eight weeks is wow. my very long answer eight <laughs> weeks <Yeah. laughs> That's what? not uncommon. It's very, the membrane that you're talking about is, it's not very thick, a few cell layers only, and you're trying to identify it with an ultrasound and make sure that you catch it as it's moving, flowing almost like a curtain from that's blowing in the breeze. And so it moves very freely. It's not like it's fixed in one place and stays there the whole time. Yeah. Babies can push on it and kick each other and do all sorts of good things through it. Mm-hmm. So. And they did. <laughs> <laughs> 
And and Sunny, now did you know up you know pretty early on that you're having Modi? Well, kind of like Brandy, they missed it at first. <laughs> I went in at eight weeks, and I, you know, I mean, they're not looking for more than one usually. You know, I don't have a history of it of twins or anything. And um, but I did. It was kind of funny because I did ask my OB at the time. I'm just like only one because I'm one of those crazy people that no, always I did wanted too. twins. I did. I said, "Are you sure there's just the one?" <laughs> she said, "Did you do IVF?" No, she's okay. It's just the one. I know, and that's what then. That's what she told me. She's like, no, just one. I'm okay. Okay, I guess we're not gonna have because we knew it was gonna be our last pregnancy. So we're like, okay, I've always wanted twins. Guess it's not gonna happen. And then um, at 11 weeks, um, I went back um, to do the first trimester screening stuff. And my husband wasn't even with me. I thought this was a routine thing. He was at home watching our other kids. And I go in there, and um, it was a sonographer I'd never met before. And, you know, and they're just, you know, doing basic testing, make sure there's no, you know, abnormalities. And the first thing she said, and she said it just so casually, was like, oh, twins. Like, oh, like, oh, it was supposed to be a twin appointment. They didn't book you for a twin appointment. I didn't know I was looking for two <laughs> that babies. That was it? That was it. Oh, my gosh. And I really thought I literally was looking for, like, the, the you know, the cameras in the room. Like, yes. I was on, because I'd always wanted twins. And someone just told me I was never going to have twins because I knew it was the last pregnancy. Walk in. And she and, and I'm just I, and I literally thought she was looking at the wrong screen or there was something else up there that was not my body she was looking at you know and so that's how we found out I mean we thought it was just one and then oh my gosh then the tears started flooding and suddenly she became like my therapist as I like reach out to her to say my whole life I've wanted twins just the most magical moment ever so yeah 11 weeks I guess wow Mm -hmm. early no, I know in my case, I mean, I, I knew I was having twins the, from the first appointment from the get-go, um, but then my OB thought that it was, um, they were fraternal. And so I actually was believing that up until my girls were born, they were about 18 months old, and everyone kept telling me, uh, no, they're identical, they're identical. And, and I thought, well, okay, and we had a DNA test. So, so I actually didn't go through the standards of care for identicals. So it was <laughs> it was a different experience for yeah. me. <laughs> Very much. And that makes a lot more sense about your delivery timing now. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, after after we found out that we were having twins, I did have another regular appointment with my OB, not a perinatologist, just my OB, because I really liked her. She had delivered my other son, and, and I really wanted to keep having, you know, prenatal care with her. And um, she went back and she's like, well, it really depends if they're mono-mono or mono-die. And, and my original report didn't say, they didn't classify what it was. And I didn't know enough about twin pregnancies to ask. I knew identical and fraternal. And that's the only real question that I asked about, you know, and are the babies okay? Mm-hmm. You know, how did they not check? You know, how did they not find this? And does that mean, you know, they're okay? Do you see two heartbeats and everything looked fine? Um, so my OB, you know, she tried to look, you know, in um, at the appointment, just a regular, I guess, I guess there's different levels of uh, equipment that they can use and she's like this she basically said the equipment wasn't high enough grade to be able to see if it was mono mono or mono die and so she had to make a phone call over and they had to do some research and but you know I guess at that next appointment which was still my first trimester sometime they probably actually pretty quickly after I found out that I was having the twins um that they were able to say they were mono die wow well, we're going to take a break with that, and when we come back, we are going to uh, talk a little bit more about the risks of uh, a monodi pregnancy.
we're just talking a little bit about um, some of the risks associated with the monodiet um, pregnancy, and uh, maybe you can elaborate a little bit more. Sure. Um, in addition to the to the increased risk for structural malformations for the babies, even beyond that of uh, dichorionic twins, an increased risk for structural heart disease, there's a, there's a big risk for what's called twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. And that risk is about somewhere between 10 and 15% for that to develop. What happens is that one baby is essentially donating blood to the other baby through the placenta. And so one baby uh, has less blood available, one baby has too much blood available. And the baby with uh, less blood than necessary ends up um, smaller than average with less fluid and can start to see some abnormal blood flow patterns through the placenta. The second baby, the larger baby, ends up with too much blood, too much fluid, tends to grow bigger, and can end up with excess fluid in the heart that can cause congestive heart failure. So there's multiple stages to -to twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, and that's one of the reasons, one of the major reasons we do so frequent ultrasound screening at least every two weeks for moms carrying identical twins. We should be looking at blood flow through the umbilical cords. We should be looking at size. We should be looking at fluid levels for both babies at least every two weeks. Wow. And and how common is, um, are these conditions in uh, the monodi pregnancies? So twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome basically carries a risk of about 10 to 15% of an all monochorionic twin pregnancy. So it's not that rare, unfortunately. Um, TAPS, which stands for uh, uh, twin anemia polycythemia sequence, is less common. It's about 2 to 5% of all, pregnant, of all monochorionic pregnancies. Uh, unless they've already had treatment, a laser treatment for uh, the twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, in which case TAPS can occur in about 10 to 15% of those pregnancies. But that's such a small number to begin with. Mm-hmm. And is, is there a certain time frame within the pregnancy that um, the babies are more susceptible to it? Or, um, I mean, because I think we've heard about, you know, different standards of care and when they should be monitored and delivered. Uh, less than 16 weeks is extremely unlikely to develop it, and so that's why we start doing our uh, our, our every two-week ultrasounds is beginning at 16 weeks. We continue those until delivery, although the chance to develop twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome or TAPS, if it hasn't developed before 28 weeks, if it, the chance to develop it after 28 weeks, if it hasn't developed before, is pretty low, but we still recommend that routine screening every two weeks. And it's nice to check on growth every two weeks for these babies, check on their uh, blood flow patterns for the umbilical cord as well, and make sure that things are safe. Mm-hmm. And I was curious, Amy, um, were you monitored on a biweekly basis for um, TTS? I was, yes. And um, and I think and it's, so, and that just included ultrasounds from your um, par- perinatologist, or correct? Yes. How about here in the room? My my appointments were every two weeks. Yeah, throughout. yeah, mine were too. Um, and I think that was immediately after I was assigned a perinatologist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that's good to know that we're we're getting frequent um, check-ins. Well, and I know that I was only with a perinatologist, and I think some practices go, I mean, does it depend on the type of pregnancy, doctor? Well, it depends on the on the OB. Some general OBGYNs are comfortable taking care of women with twin, with uh, monochorionic pregnancies uh, 
but not necessarily handling the complications and referring those to the perinatologist. Some of them um, would rather just have the perinatologist do the whole thing. And it depends on your OB. Sunny was talking about. Yeah. Well, so I was first seeing the OB and then um, I wanted, like I said, to continue to see her. But it was the perinatologist that made the decision. She and they're actually friends, um, you know, the same group and stuff like that. And so I thought I was going back and um, I was so bummed. And it, it turned out that the perinatologist was, was great, too. But um, she kind of made the the call she's like oh no 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 you're not going back to see her you're mine now <laughs> I'm like okay <laughs> but it, it turned out to be good I saw both too until I was put on home bed rest at 26 weeks I saw my OB every month and then I saw my regular doctor the perinatologist every two weeks um, because if I went far enough I would have delivered with my OB ah. oh wow yes so maybe at some point there's there's a transfer of of a caregiver depending on the situation. Yeah. yeah. Some perinatologists don't do deliveries; they just provide consultative services, and so it depends on where you are. Mm-hmm. It, it varies from region to region across the country. And you know, I think another point. I know when I you know read a lot of the online blogs, um, sometimes it sounds like you know there aren't always perinatologists that are close by. So when it comes to the actual delivery, you might be located much closer to you know, hospitals and your OB and your perinatologist is, you know, you're, you're driving a bit further to get that specialized treatment. So something to consider anyway. Um, so, you know, now Dr. Twenman, you had mentioned um, that there are some treatments for the twin to twin transfusion and you mentioned laser surgery. Is that kind of the, the standard um, treatment for this condition? Uh, at this point, yeah, I'd say that laser the laser surgery is the standard treatment for twin to twin transfusion syndrome if it's severe enough. Um, on the other options, things that we've done in the past would include um, some people have tried making a hole in the membrane to kind of normalize the fluid levels, but that actually leaves you with a, essentially a monoamniotic gestation. Both babies end up in the same sac by doing that, and so we don't do that anymore. Uh, before the advent of laser surgery, we would do repeated amniocentesis and remove fluid from the bigger baby to try and decrease some of that pressure as well. But uh, it wasn't as effective. And so if twin-to-twin, trans- there's multiple stages of twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. And once you reach a critical stage, um, you'd be referred to someone who could do a laser surgery for the pregnancy. But the other option is to consider an early delivery. And it really depends on how far along you are when we pick this up, whether or not that would be, laser surgery would be an option. Laser surgery is not without its own risks. It carries quite a bit of risk, actually. And you can end up losing one or both babies just from the procedure. And so you weigh very carefully whether or not to do that. Mm-hmm. And and uh, from a, we're talking about treatment standpoint, what about prevention? Is is there anything that can be done to help prevent it? Or is it just, it is what it is? Unfortunately, there's not. Um, at least we're not aware of anything that can be done right now to, uh, to, prevent, to prevent twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so taking, I know we were kind of talking about the frequency of seeing our OBs and perinatologists. I mean, are there other um, standards of care that, that should be addressed within a monodi pregnancy? Well, I think, yes, there are. I think uh, for sure we talked about identifying the pregnancy and identifying the placenta as early as you can. I think that really should be done as soon as possible. As soon, I mean, by 14 weeks, if at all possible, it should have been done. Uh, you want to do ultrasounds every two weeks like we've talked about, and those ultrasounds should at least include um, fluid levels uh, for both babies and um, a checking of their uh, blood flow through the umbilical cord and checking their growth. 
Um, some people would advocate for checking the uh, an another Doppler called the middle cerebral artery peak systolic velocity. I don't think that's quite reached the standard of care across the country yet, so I don't think that um, if you're not having those done, that's a, a failing. But I also think that there should be what's called a fetal echocardiogram done for each baby at about 22 weeks of pregnancy or so. That's because there's an increased risk for structural heart disease for both of these monochorionic twins. And you know, and then the question is timing of delivery. And I and I also think that that's a an important question. I think for twins that share a placenta, you're really looking at 36 to 37 weeks is the ideal time for delivery, with um, what's called antenatal testing or a non-stress test every uh, being done twice a week. And that should probably start around 32 weeks of pregnancy or so. Mm-hmm. We all remember those non-stress tests. <laughs> yes. Can I ask a question? Sure. With caps, how do you diagnose that and is that only if they have twin twin or can they have taps and not have twin twin the answer so the um the question is uh how do you diagnose taps and the answer is it's done through what's called the middle cerebral artery uh doppler peak systolic velocity and so you have to basically use an ultrasound technique on each baby's brain to assess the blood flow and the speed of the blood flow and then you compare that to normal standards Okay, for a just particular gestational ages. And depending on how fast it is or how slow it is relative to that gestational age, if there's a particularly large difference uh, between one baby and the other, that's how you can make the diagnosis for TAPS before delivery. The great majority of TAPS is actually diagnosed after delivery. Um, after the babies are born, when they check the blood counts for babies and they, they diagnose them in the neonatal period. Um, I don't think it's, again, I don't think it's routine to screen for TAPS in all babies because the chance for for a non, for without, for a baby's without twin to twin to have TAPS is only in about the two to three, maybe 5% range at the most. The chance for TAPS after a laser to occur, however, is somewhere in the, in the, anywhere from five to 15%. And so you do want to check the babies after they've had a laser to make sure they're checking for TAPS. One of my twins, I was never told that they had TAPS, but one of my twins came out like very red, um, and they told me he had more hemoglobin than the other baby, but he didn't need a blood transfusion or anything. And my singleton was very red after delivery too, and they told me that it's hemoglobin. Um, Is that just hemoglobin? That doesn't mean that it's TAPS, right? Well, when it comes with your twins, it absolutely it could have been TAPS. Now, the baby that comes out particularly red isn't going to need a blood transfusion. They may actually need um, uh, uh, excess fluid to kind of thin their blood a little bit if it's too thick. The anemic, the other baby, the the anemic one, may have needed a blood transfusion if they had if they actually had TAPS. Okay. And for the singleton, it's just you happen to have a baby that was not particularly anemic. All right. Okay. Well, with that, I'm just going to, uh, we're going to wrap this up and we'll say thanks so much to everyone for joining us today. And for more information about uh, Monodi Twins or for more information about any of our speakers or panelists, you can visit our episode page on our website. Now, this conversation continues for members of our Twin Talks Club. And after the show, Dr. Schwendeman will talk about how expecting parents and practitioners can weigh the decision for early induction. For more information about the Twin Talks Club, visit our website, newmommymedia.com. Twin Talks. It's time for a special segment on the show. It's called We're Expecting What? And it's where we as twin parents get to share what we were feeling and what was going through our minds when we first found out we were pregnant with twins. And this comment comes from one of our listeners, Brittany. Brittany says, my husband and I have a 21-month-old daughter and five-month-old twin girls. 
I found out we were having twins when I went to the ER with bleeding at 13 weeks pregnant. They did an ultrasound, and a little while later, the nurse came in and told me I was having twins. I nearly fell off the bed. The pregnancy progressed okay until my water broke at 33 weeks pregnant. I went to the hospital, and they tried to stop the labor, but were unsuccessful. The nurse that I had kept thinking that I wasn't having contractions, but I was in very bad pain, and I had no clue why she kept putting a stethoscope to my stomach. A few minutes later, the doctor came in and said I was dilated to 9 centimeters. They rushed me back for a C-section, and a few minutes later, my twin girls were born, weighing 3 pounds, 8 ounces, and 3 pounds, 12 ounces breathing on their own thanks to all the steroid shots I had had previously. The girls were in the NICU for 17 days just to gain some weight and came home three days after Christmas. Good luck to everyone having twins. They are truly a blessing as are all kids. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Brittany, for sharing your amazing story. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to Twin Talks. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Preggy Pals for Expecting Parents, and our show, The Boob Group, for moms who breastfeed their babies, and Parent Savers, your parenting resource on the go. This is Twin Talks, Parenting Times 2. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, Please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. New Mommy Media is expanding our lineup of shows for new and expecting parents. If you have an idea for a new series, or if you're a business or organization interested in joining our network of shows through a co-branded podcast, visit newmommymedia.com. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.